Will the images out of Bucha change the dynamic? Does it cause NATO to want to be more invested in fighting against Russia? Are they more concerned about Russian uh, aggression? Are they concerned that it will reach the Polish border? The Baltics seem very, very concerned. I have not heard word one from Moldova lately. But the images of the dead in the street, people bound and shot, killed. There's, there's a question here. Cer- certainly there's been the questions of, is, is this real? I personally believe it is real. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Does this change the dynamic when Ukraine is asking for help that they'll get even more help? Well, according to President Biden, that certainly seems to be the case as he's now openly, continually referring to Vladimir Putin as a war criminal who should be tried. There's conversation of tanks being sent from the U.S., but will it go a step further major mike lyons joins us right now retired united states army military analyst as you hear him on radio and see him on tv let's first talk about what we're seeing in bucha this is a uh, a suburb of kiev uh to a little bit of the, to the north and to the west of, of of kiev and we're getting these images of just civilian deaths men women children dead in uh, the the streets, they just came through and totally destroyed uh, this town. What can you tell us about what has happened here? And wouldn't I argue, based on what we have envisioned uh, or what we've seen regarding Aleppo in Syria, that this is par for the course for a Putin-run military? Yeah, Tony, no question. And you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago and the fact that how this was going to go based on the conduct of the Russian soldier and. Uh, from, uh, you know, again, we project American values on what American soldiers would do and the kind of things that we did in Iraq as we took over that country when the time came and we decided to do regime change against Saddam Hussein. We didn't do these kind of atrocities. And we talked about whether or not they would commit them, and they sure have, and they've gotten, they've fallen back into that same, uh, the same kind of conduct and behavior that they did back during the Second World War. And it's all kind of part of that 19th century mentality that Russia still has embedded in its culture. And I think now the, the world is going to, you know, blame Russia as well, blame the Russian culture, blame Vladimir Putin. There's no question this is where it's all stemming from. And the kind of things that we're seeing there was, was likely what happened also in Aleppo and, and Chechnya and these other places. But this, this uh, war is much more on film uh, because we have the Internet, we have video, we have more proof of it. And so, uh, so again, we, should, we, we thought maybe we were going to get better from them, uh, but it just, just hasn't happened. So we now know this, and we now see this, and, and I, I should say, because there are people who always tell you that, oh, it's a false flag, or oh, it's this, it's that, uh, what you have seen out of those images out of Bucha, this, this, this is the real deal, this is the horror show. Yeah, and, and talk people about their tongue, their tongues cut out based on they were doing saying things and heads split open and hands behind their back and, and, and shot in the head and all those kinds of things and you could see artillery kind of uh, you know it's cold there you're seeing pictures of people likely killed by artillery fire that are left in the street look the Russian military leaves it dead behind as well so it, it's the lowest form of civilization. Um, difficult to negotiate with these people, difficult to think that from a uh, rules of war perspective we're going to pay any attention to them, but, but that's what we have right now, and, and the question is right. What, what, what does the world do about it? 
This whole thing is a foreign policy failure for the last 20 to 30 years on a lot of different fronts, um, you know, NATO side on, on, I think, the United States failing to project this. You know, we, we promised Ukraine security uh, back in, in 1993, and so did Russia at the same time. Here we are almost, you know, 30 years later, and that's completely been violated. So, But the idea that we promised uh, security, um, and what we are far apart as a nation from the idea of whether we should be sending in troops the vast majority of people saying there should be no troops on the ground there should be no uh, no fly zone from from the united states or, or from nato does this over the last 48 hours 72 hours 96 hours does this change the equation uh, where we you know it, i was texting with you uh, just mm-hmm. the other day about this and there yeah. was a conversation about tanks from the united states are is the us sending in tanks more willing to send in hardware less worried about a response from putin because well now the public pressure's on him not on nato well first of all a couple of things first, the, the russian military has proved to be feckless and almost incompetent to at this point, and they're in almost retreat. They're you know, clearly to the north in Kiev in that area as they try to consolidate in the Donbass in the southeast um, region. And they still haven't taken Mariupol. They still haven't taken a lot of the cities that uh, they originally thought they were going to take very easily. I don't think. I think the battle for Kiev is done. I don't think that they'll be able to come back there unless it's you know six months from now. This thing is still going on from them at that point. So, so I think that, that that's changed the equation a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a lot of talk and bluster about us getting tanks and these higher, more sophisticated weapon systems and platforms. And I think, again, we talked about the SA-300s even and the SA-400s. They require fire direction centers and radar systems and all these things that you're just not going to necessarily get across the border. Or Russia could target them um, and hit them as soon as they, you know, literally cross the border. Now, getting tanks, and the other issue there is, um, Ukraine is a non-NATO country that has uh, Soviet-made, literally Soviet-made, Russian-made equipment. And it's, uh, uh, it's not something that we have easily in, in the NATO inventory. Now, some of the NATO countries do, and we see the Czech Republic possibly giving up some BMPs, which are Russian-made uh, infantry vehicles and the like. And again, but how do you get them across the border? How do you fuel them? How do you man them? There's so many different factors that goes into that. So, I, again, I'm not sure that's actually going to happen as well. But the, 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 at the end of this, I don't see NATO getting any more involved because of the capability that Vladimir Putin still has when it comes to nuclear weapons, cruise missiles, and the like, that if it does expand, it expands very quickly, and it's, it expands strategically, and it expands at a level that we just don't want to have uh, at this point. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army uh, where is Vladimir Putin, do you believe, in, in this? There was some talk last week that he felt that uh, he was misled by his military advisors about how strong the military was. We all know that that's just a lot of uh, bluster. He would not have cared. He, he, he wanted to go forward with this uh, in, invasion. Even if they had told him uh, that uh, uh, they weren't prepared for it, he would have gone forward anyway, and people would have done it out of fear for their lives because he would have maybe had them harmed or, or killed or, or, or families. But where is he right now when we talk about them in, in retreat? Um, yeah. that, that, that doesn't mean that they're stopping, and people get confused by that one, that they're in retreat or they're pulling out of this area. They're not pulling out of Ukraine. They're there for the long haul. Explain what it all means. Yeah, so he's got a tremendous amount of um, you know, battalion fighting groups and, and um, tactical groups, they're called BTGs, and K 
kit, military kit and equipment, they still he can still throw a tremendous amount of uh, people at this problem set. Um, and, and, and while he's suffered tremendous losses, that would be demoralizing in any other unit, in any other military. Uh, he seems to have brought some of them offline, and he's trying to reposition them. Now, some of them might never get back into the fight. We'll see. He clearly overestimated their capability. He overestimated not only their capability, but their uh, equipment and how well that would perform. Here it is, day what forty-one. They still don't own the air. They still they still have that as a, as contested against a non-peer uh, a competitor in, in in Ukraine. So I, you know he's he's made tremendous um, strategic mistakes. Um, similar, we haven't seen this level since you know Saddam Hussein made them back uh, you know during the Gulf War, I think. Um, but but they still again can throw things at you, and they they you know Russia doesn't retire equipment. They just move it behind the Ural Mountains, and it comes out at some point. And we're watching closely to see what's moving in. We saw troops move in from Georgia. We saw um, there was talk of troops coming from Kaliningrad, actually, the, the few troops that have stationed there north of the Baltics, and, and uh, hitting in Belarus. It's good to see Belarus at least not supporting Russia any more uh, than, than uh, that they really could, because they would tip the balance. Clearly, you can move, almost move the Russian army out, the Belarusian army in there, and they could, they could help them as well. But the bottom line is, Tony, they still has a tremendous amount of capability, and, and it could be repositioned and take three or four weeks, but then reformed and refitted to, to put a pretty good punch in on still in the southern portion of Ukraine. You made the argument uh, a few weeks back uh, on this show that what we are about to see is uh, a guerrilla war that goes on and on and on. You still, uh, you, you still there on that? I am. Uh, the things I'm concerned about is um, lack of accountability of some of the equipment now that we've sent them, sent the Ukraine military, and where it's going to go. This is going to just become a massive. Of, of weapon systems that are going to be, you know, in the battlefield, similar to what we saw after Ukraine. But I also think the Ukraine um, army and the guerrilla forces, and they're fighting in squads of eight to twelve people. Um, they are going to just continue to protect and defend their homeland and, and and punch away at these, you know, Russian forces. The question is, you know, the Ukraine is one of the largest landmass countries in Europe to begin with, and and they got to get to the fight, and they have to get there, and so. They're likely moving from Kiev now north uh, and going about a four or five hundred mile trip to the south, and it's a long way to get there. So they need to be logistics and they need to be supported. But as long as Russian troops are in that country, I, I think you're going to see a guerrilla war. Uh, normally, to get troops out of your country, it takes again another hundred thousand troops. They're not coming. They're not coming from anywhere. They're not coming from NATO. I mean, I mean for very easily, NATO would love to get involved because they would say, "Look, move that Russian military, or we're going to destroy it." And that's the that's the primary reason why that, that Vladimir Putin is, is would be most concerned because he knows that if NATO did get involved, that NATO would very quickly destroy that military that's in Ukraine right now, literally where it sits. Which brings us to what is it that desperate people do? This has been the conversation, man. This has been the whole thing. It's very obvious and very clear that we could take the Russian military in about 15 seconds, but there's this guy with nuclear weapons and you don't. And the argument has been is that if he's losing in Ukraine and showing that he's a failure in Ukraine, showing that this military can't do the job, what stops him from engaging some level of tactical strike, nuclear strike even, uh, that... that gets him a victory and shows everybody that he's still a tough guy. Is this yeah. still in anybody's no, so mindset I, I think as, that, as a possibility? You know, there's this date of March 9th that's uh, the next kind of Russian holiday to try to get a victory before then. Um, maybe it's in the South. Maybe he, he has to do that in Mariupol. There's, 
you know, that's unthinkable of taking attack nuke and firing it over Kiev, the city, and, uh, you know, that could potentially kill Zelensky. Those are the kind of things that uh, are still on the offing here based on their capability. I, you're seeing now more people even thinking about what would it be like if a, if a nuke hit the United States? There, there are people who have argued that we can win that kind of war. I mean, I, again, you shake your head and think about, you know, where that, where that goes. But I can tell you this, there's one thing that will happen when this does finally end, and that there's going to be an arms race for nuclear weapons, because countries are going to recognize that if you have a nuclear weapon, um, that, that uh, even if you are attacked, if you use it in, in, in the defense, like this is Iran's argument, they want a nuclear weapon because they need it, because they think the Israelis are going to attack them. Obviously, Iran could use that same nuclear weapon on Israel, but I think you're going to see an arms race for nuclear weapons. Saudi Arabia, UAE, all Middle Eastern countries are going to want a nuke. North Korea has never given up their nukes after this, after watching right? the, how this has gone down. So, because that, that is the one of the... Defense, I think you're going to see countries pay big bucks for air yeah, let, let, let me let me jump in there real right quick major looking at our eastern coastline making sure we're showing up air defense capability so so I, I just wanted to jump in because that is one of the really weird takeaway lessons from this you know it, it, it's interesting how people learn things and 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 what the iranians seem to have seen what the north koreans see and and clearly other nations including uh, ally nations see is that if you've got nuclear weapons you've got a leverage point and yeah. ukraine giving up the nuclear weapons took away the leverage point well let's never have that happen again it goes along with codifying for example uh china engaging in more communism they watched uh the soviet union fall and they said the answer is more communism not less they saw the fall of Gaddafi, uh and 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 the vacuum created there and they said more communism and uh, not not less it it it, it does push people to less of a what we would have thought of as a western way of thinking a a liberal a, a classical liberal way of thinking and more to uh achieve dominance achieve control achieve power achieve strength type of type of race there's a i'm not wrong in thinking a major that there's there's a new weird arms race going on in the world no no absolutely right and it's going to happen in, in space. It'll happen there with uh, the countries that have that capability, which is why I'm glad we have the Space Force. I think we've got a, you know, our, our satellite assets that exist there. It's going to happen on the ground with, the, like I said, the air defense platforms. You're going to see countries making sure that uh, if, if and when that time came, they could, that they could control the air spaces and could knock stuff out, both to defend and then also go on the attack. And then that last component of, of nuclear, there'll be an arms race there. Um, you'll, you're going to take the the 19th century mentality held by Russia and China and try to uh, lay a nuclear weapon aspect over it, it would be kind of like even, you know, Hannibal and, and, and those kind of the, you know, the old school uh, hegemonic, you know, despotic leaders and giving them the kind of capability that, that would allow them to destroy other countries instantly as opposed to the years and years it used to take on those crusades and all those campaigns that they did. But, I, but again, I, I think that um, we've got to shift and we've got to recognize that there's still three and a half million people on the side of Russia here with China, India, and those other folks that support them and, and not live in the 21st century and not be so worried about climate change. And we, 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 there's, you know, we, or we're not going to have a world. I mean, I just can't get over the fact that, um, you know, the, that we're not going to produce more energy. We're not going to recognize we're going to have this U S soft power. We're going to have to be able to supplement what Russia is, is going to try to provide to the market and make sure that they can't do it. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J, Mike Lyons on Twitter. I always appreciate taking the time to be with us. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz.